Oh, how sweet it is. WVU pulls out the brooms against visiting Baylor for a Big 12 home series sweep over the Bears at Montegalia County Ballpark. You are listening to a Sunday version of the Golden Blue Nation podcast brought to you as always by Pritt and Spano, West Virginia's lawyers, your WV law firm. Com. Ryan Decker, Sam Coniglio here with you on this Sunday, April 10th, coming off of a West Virginia baseball sweep of the Baylor Bears at beautiful Wagner Field at Montegalia County Ballpark. And Sam, each of these three games that we saw over the weekend, really wild, wonderful. You had some weather, you had some big leads go away, you had some comebacks, a little bit of everything that you want as a baseball fan when you go to the ballpark and see a three-game series. Yeah, for sure. You also saw a guy miss home plate, which you don't really see that often. So <laughs> you really saw true. everything. But that's how the weekend got started. Yeah, that's how the weekend <laughs> got started, and it, um, and especially with this particular individual, it, it ended completely differently in, in, a, in a positive way. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, we really had everything. Um, and, and it was it was an exciting week at Montegalia County Ballpark. Wagner Field at Montegalia County Ballpark, as it is now known. Yes, Wagner Field at Montegalia County Ballpark. They actually just did a, a ceremony on Saturday for the Wagner family and, and their big donations to the uh, to, to the program, to the facilities, and all that stuff. And obviously, you know, Montegalia County Ballpark. You don't just hear it from Morgantown locals or people who cover West Virginia specifically. You hear it from people who cover the Big Twelve, cover college baseball. Beautiful ballpark. It's one of the top facilities in the Big 12 as far as baseball goes. And obviously, you know, we're, we're thrilled to be there at just about every weekend, it seems, pretty much going forward. Yeah, and, and there was a really good crowd there over this weekend, especially today. Today is Sunday. Um, you know, it, it was in the high 50s, sunny all day. Mm -hmm. Yesterday, on Saturday, the, the fans braved the elements to, you know, like Ryan said, we had weather. It was raining. We had some hail, we had a little bit of snow, but the fans stuck around through all nine innings, two and a half hours, so they didn't have to brave it for too long. <laughs> but, you know, it, 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 it was, it's definitely being utilized by the Mountaineer faithful, that's for sure. If there was any indication of how this series was going to play throughout the weekend, the start of Friday's uh, series opener was a pretty good indication where uh, Jacob Waters has a pretty easy first inning, and then Austin Davis, we think, he touches home, he doesn't, and then you get a weather delay in there as well, and that really, I think, kind of set the table for what this weekend was. It ended up being a very positive weekend for the Mountaineers where you get back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back wins and you sweep a team in the Big 12 for the first time in nearly six years. We'll get to that in a minute, but Friday kind of set the table for how this weekend series was going to go, which, judging by last weekend's series, Sam, that's kind of how it went last weekend, too, where that set the table for, for the rest of the weekend. Yeah, it looks like you're going to have to buckle up on Friday nights. Yeah. Um, that, that game, they won it on a walk-off walk. Um, they kind of got, I wouldn't say they necessarily got lucky. You know, you got to give some credit to the batters when they take walks, but mm -hmm. um, they really got to the Baylor closer. Um, and, and like we said, Austin Davis might have been a different game if he actually, you know, if it was proven that he touched home plate in the bottom of the first inning on a nice sacrifice fly, um, but but he came back and throughout the rest of the weekend had a fantastic series, and and they got that win anyway, despite the yes. tough bottom of the first. Uh, Austin Davis rose his batting average. Uh, I think it was nearly 50 points just in this series. He's now hitting 323 on the year. He came in around the 269, 270 uh, region there is where he entered the series. So you, He went 8 for 11 over the weekend. 
eight for 11. That's a heck of a weekend. And he went three for four, but reached base all four times today. He was, Ryan brought this up to him, he was a triple away from hitting for the cycle. Triple today. short of the cycle, and um, you, you just got to wonder with his speed, where's that cycle at? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I mean, he, he just needs to hit a double and, you know, decide to go to third. Yeah, pretty and much. That's, that's a triple for him. But, um, yeah, I mean, heck, heck of a series. And not to mention his defensive prowess, too. Mm -hmm. He had some, he had some fantastic plays out in right field. One of them in the second game to hold a single, to turn a double into a single, mm -hmm. um, getting the cutoff at second. But yeah, so he, he had a great all-around series, um, especially from the plate. I mean, eight of eleven, rising that batting average over three hundred. Still no definitive look on whether or not he did touch home on <laughs> Friday in in the bottom of the first inning. It sure looked like on the television broadcast that he did touch home, but when the call on the field is that he does not touch home. Obviously, you hear it all the time in football and other sports. It's the same case in baseball. you got to have that definitive look. I don't think we ever saw that definitive look. So that's why for the rest of this series, anytime Austin Davis came around to score, which he did often in this series, he made sure just about every limb he had was touching home plate. Which was, it was honestly kind of entertaining to watch. Yeah. And you could tell it was for a purpose, but, but you take that aside, it, it was entertaining as well, just seeing the different ways he actually physically touched home in the series. The first time he crossed the plate on Saturday, he slid over, touched yes. it with two hands, and asked, um, did I touch it that time? <laughs> you know, like, that, that's, that's funny. He, he's, got a, he's got a nice sense of humor, and he plays to the crowd, which is something you, you don't – you see, you know, college baseball is exciting, but you don't see that many characters like him in the game. Mm-hmm. I think just baseball as a whole, you, you yeah. know, you're seeing this more in the major league level especially, but, but definitely in the college level as well, you're seeing more of that playing to the crowd. You're seeing more of these really energetic guys, and you're seeing that, I think, throughout this West Virginia team where you've got Austin Davis, who's definitely the, the ringleader of, of the energy. He's kind of the energizer bunny for this team, but you know, you, you've seen guys like Victor Scott and Tevin Tucker when he's come through with some, with some big at-bats um, and some other guys as well on this team who they certainly acknowledge the crowd that is there at Wagoner Field at Montegalia County Ballpark. When, some, when st things are going right, they're acknowledging the fans who are appreciating what they're doing on the field. Yeah, and, and you know, there really is a crowd this year. Um, they're not quite feeling the stadium like they did back in the regional uh, year in 2019, but they're still getting solid crowds for fans that are showing up in blankets and winter coats. Even back to the Ohio State series, there was a really good crowd, and they're really into it. Randy Maisie gave credit to the crowd for coming and helping out. He says, you know, you're not coming there to watch the game. You're coming there to help us win. And to be a part uh, of the game. To be yeah. a part of the game. And, you, you know, that it's, it seems like they're doing that. They're, they're, they're loud, they're, um, they're active, and they're chirping the other team, which is what West Virginia fans are good at. And especially the brand of baseball that West Virginia plays, it definitely lends itself to the fans getting involved where you can hear some fans anytime a West Virginia runners on base, specifically Victor Scott, Austin Davis, um, J.J. Weatherholt, any of these guys who do steal, uh, Ben Abernathy, or I'm sorry, Braden Barry. Braden Barry is another one. Now you've, Abernathy you've, also. You've he, rubbed off on me a little bit. He does steal, though, too. That's Don't, true. That's true. Give him some credit. But, but any of those guys that do take off with, with some consistency, Anytime an opposing pitcher is about to deliver, you hear one or two fans throughout throughout the ballpark saying, "He's off. He's going. He's going." <laughs> and, and and that's a good a good example, I think, of just how this crowd really is starting to acknowledge 
and really respect the brand of baseball that Randy Mazie wants to play, and, and they're certainly getting behind this team, I think, for sure. Yeah, and the top of the lineup is the perfect group to do that. Um, they're, they're exciting. They've got energetic players, Austin Davis leading off the, the order. Um, so it's, it's, it's easy to get that fire going in, in the opening innings of a game. Let's talk about this lineup for a second. Right now, Austin Davis with a five-game hitting streak, including yep. the, the three that were just played this weekend. McGuire Holbrook in the middle of that order, also on a five-game hitting streak. You had uh, uh, Braden Barry, his 12-game hitting streak come to a close on Saturday, and he was able to ex you know get, get another one started on Sunday with a 2-4 performance. You're seeing this throughout the lineup, and Victor Scott, a guy who – He's been up at the top of West Virginia uh, statistically in average and, and other things, certainly stolen bases throughout the season. He's got a hit in, I believe it's four of his last five now. So you talk about the top and the middle of the, that order, they're producing for sure. How many of those guys are hitting over 300? So right, right now, as, as we're looking at the stats right now, after Sunday's game against Baylor, Wire Holbrook leading with a 349 average, Braden Barry a 328 batting average, it's second best on the team. Austin Davis right behind him, 323. We mentioned his big jump in, uh, in that stat over the course of this weekend. 322 is J.J. Weatherholt. That's a pretty good average for a freshman who, we, we had a story on that on our website this week. He and uh, Grant Hussey just getting used to Big 12 baseball. Certainly J.J. Weatherholt's getting a pretty good footing in this league. And Victor Scott, uh, another guy over 300 at 303. So you've got five hitters right now on this team, all towards the top of the lineup, middle to top of the order, uh, with a 300 or better batting average. And then you can't overlook Dane Leonard and what he's no. done this year. We've talked about him on this podcast before. Dane Leonard, a guy who has missed some time with a hand injury, hitting 278 on the year. And when he's been at the plate, he's been productive. He had a big hit again today on yeah. Sunday. And he was a defensive acquisition. Um, when, when he came over from Virginia Tech, <clears throat> excuse me, when he came over from Virginia Tech uh, in the offseason, he was supposed to be a defensive acquisition. They were, they were down a catcher. Now they have three catchers. They're, <laughs> they're a little crowded behind the plate. But, um, you know, Dane has been a, a, a fantastic addition. He's batting in that 5-6 spot. He's kind of been in that middle of the lineup, and he's been able to deliver some clutch hits, and he was very, very good this weekend. We've made it this far, and really, I think outside of mention of, of Jacob Waters, we haven't spoken about the pitching performances no. that we saw this weekend, so certainly need to get to that. I think you have to start, as it looks like we're going to start every weekend podcast, baseball co podcast now, when we, when we start recapping these series, with Ben Hampton. Yeah, masterful once again Saturday against Baylor. Uh, ben Hampton's line seven and two thirds innings pitched, six hits, two runs. Both of those were earned. Five strikeouts on the mound for the sophomore left-hander. Just again, masterful once again was Ben Hampton. He's becoming truly the ace of the staff. He's a tough guy to hit. He's a tough guy to hit. He gets a lot of contact, but he's a fly ball pitcher, and and he's got the outfield to really help him out there. I mean, he he gave a lot of credit to his outfield. Um, after his start on Saturday, um, but uh, yeah, he's he's to have a guy like that on Saturday. Usually, usually you put a guy like that on Friday, but um, he's been pitching on Saturday and he's been the only guy that's stayed there, rightly so. Ben Hampton so far this season, he's pitched 50 and two-thirds innings, so to round up 51, we'll say for this exercise, he's faced 182 at bats. So you add in a couple walks in there as well, and you're closer to 190. Uh, closer to 192, actually, with, with a couple of walks. And his whip this year, under one. It's .99. That's so impressive for a guy who's thrown 50, almost 51 innings now. He's faced this many hitters. 
to have that whip under one. It's really impressive what he's doing. Yeah, and it's very possible that we could see a complete game out of him uh, by the time because his pitch count's starting to go up. He's hit over. He's hit triple digits three times this season, right? You're looking at his numbers. Two or three times. Don't have uh, pitches in front of me right now. Gotcha. But. Well, he's, he's done it multiple times. He hit it again on Saturday. Um, and, and he he honestly could have gone and completed eight innings on Saturday if, if he really wanted to. Rainey kind of learned some lessons from the Saturday previous <laughs> where he, he left him in a, a couple batters too long and gave up a homer, and they ended up losing that game. But, yeah, he, he's just a solid guy, solid, solid guy in the rotation. Ben actually went four pitches shy of 100 oh. on Saturday. Finished with 96, but it was certainly 96 quality pitches out of him on Saturday that snapped a streak of three straight performances uh, with 100 pitches. We round up the Golden Blue Nation. We do, we do round up. We're, we're anti-decimal here. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> anti-decimal. But And so keeping with the pitching theme, obviously Ben Hampton was big in this series. Jacob Waters had an interesting performance where you have to deal with a rain delay in the middle of that. Let's yeah. fast forward to Sunday now, where Zach Bravo, who is becoming that Sunday starter, it looks like he's kind of solidified that role for the moment, comes out, throws three really dominant innings of no-hit ball, and then Sam, the fourth inning happened, and that, that was a completely different Zach Bravo we saw out there. And it, it was just interesting, interesting to see how different he was from the first nine outs that he got to the fourth inning. Yeah, and, but that's kind of what we've seen of him all year. He, 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 he won't give up a lot of hits. He won't give up a lot of runs. Well, he did today. But where he really seems to struggle is when you get into that third, fourth, fifth inning, if he gets that far, he starts to lose his command. He starts to walk guys. He starts to hit guys. And he seems to – I'm not inside of his head. I've never – I'm going to be honest, I've never spoken to him. But he, he seems to kind of lose his head a little bit. As the innings go on, as if, if he has one tough at bat, it seems they seem to kind of compound. Um, but but today, it, I mean, he had a no hitter, but he gave up five earned runs. You know that's that's interesting. That's just an interesting stat line. That's got to be a bit of a baseball anomaly. That, yeah. that yes, Zach Bravo finishes his outing on the mound, three and two thirds innings pitched, five runs all earned, three strikeouts, four walks, a hit batter, zero hits allowed. He exited with, with it being a two-run ball game. Ended up being a one-run ball game when, when that inning was all all said and done. That fourth inning, it really, if West Virginia doesn't respond late in the game with an Austin Davis home run and some great pitching out of the bullpen, that fourth inning would have been the difference maker from the sweep to not having a sweep and only winning two out of three in the series. Yeah, um, it, it really was kind of tough because you know they had so much momentum. In those first two innings, um, they, they they batted around. I, I believe in the first in the first inning. They if not, they got pretty dang close. They went. They started off six for six with a sack. Um, then you know they added two more. It seemed like that game was over in the second inning. But this is baseball. You still got to pitch the ball over the plate. And when you don't, that's when it, that's when your problems arise. The good thing was that after Zach Bravo, obviously Noah Short came in. He didn't have his best stuff, but he was able to get out of the inning. Yeah. Then Chris Sleeper comes in out of the bullpen and arguably, I would say, maybe not even arguably, puts forth his best performance of his young career. He's only a freshman out of, uh, out of New York, and he comes in and throws four innings of shutout baseball. Chris Sleeper, a huge performance. He got the win for it. He's now 2-4 and four on the year decisions-wise. 
But Chris Sleeper comes in and gives you four really big innings out of the bullpen. That was a big, big uh, boost to Rainey Maisie's bullpen moving forward that they didn't have to use any more arms other than Chris Sleeper and Trey Braithwaite there in the ninth inning. Yeah, I've got to give a shout-out to uh, Chris Sleeper, my fellow 585er from Rochester, New York. There we go. Um, but, yeah, no, he's, he's in a weird spot as a freshman because he was that Sunday starter, but Randy shows that he's still confident enough to let him go, I mean, four innings, really. And, and that's, that's a starter's workload, really, um, especially for a freshman. Um, to get to get the win out of the bullpen over three innings of work, that's pretty solid. But Trey Braithwaite, like you said, he's been probably the best uh, reliever this season uh, for WVU, especially over the last few weekends. He's last weekend he picked up a, a win and a save. This weekend he got a save. So big pickup for West Virginia in the transfer portal. I, I asked, yeah, for sure. I, I asked Randy Maisie about Trey Braithwaite after the game on Sunday and you know, kind of asked him, did you know this was the type of guy you were getting from Navy when he comes over from the Naval Academy? And it, it seems like by the way Maisie answered the question, you certainly hope this is what you were getting out of Trey Braithwaite when he comes over. You didn't maybe necessarily think he was going to be your closer, partially because you thought Jacob Waters was going to be in that position all, all season long. But man, Trey Braithwaite, he's really fit right in. In the last month, pretty much, he, he's been just almost unhittable, and he's been a really solid addition to this West Virginia team. Trey talk, has. talk about, like, a weird spot. Rain, Rainey's in a weird spot with his pitching staff, you know. When you take your closer and put him in the starting rotation, you, you kind of have to get lucky and hope that the rest of your bullpen will pick up that slack, and it really has. Yeah, it has for the most part. You're seeing that out of guys like Chris Sleeper, like we saw on Sunday. You're seeing it certainly out of Trey Braithwaite, like we've seen here, certainly over the last two weekends. And you know, Chase Smith, just kind of going through the couple of days here, Chase Smith didn't come in on Saturday and have his best stuff, but he's given you good innings in the past. Mm-hmm. Zach Ottinger you know, was able to hold some things down there late in the game yeah. on Saturday. And then on Friday for West Virginia, Trey Braithwaite, again, as you mentioned, he gets the win on Friday. Carlson Reed it seems to have turned things around, I think, a little bit over the last couple of, of days and maybe the last week or so. Knock on wood if we have any here in the studio, but uh, hopefully Carlson Reed, after kind of being demoted from the starting rotation, he settled down and has kind of found some things out about himself maybe. Yeah, it seems like he, he, he was thrust into a starting role in 2021 as a freshman. He had a, a pretty good summer summer season away from the Mountaineers, so Randy probably thought that he was he was ready for, uh, for the Friday starter role. But that's a lot of that's a lot of uh, uh, responsibility to throw on a guy, and th- that's those are the shoes of Alec Manoa and, and Jackson Wolf. Uh, to put him in that position probably might have been a little bit more responsibility, but now he's getting those the, those fifth and sixth inning jobs, and he's he's keeping the runs off the board. And some guys, too, are, are just more comfortable coming out of the bullpen versus getting the, getting the start. Randy Mays, I know, has talked at length in the past about how that first inning for a lot of guys can really be the difference in a great performance on the mound or a bad performance on the mound. Yeah. And some guys just don't react to that first inning. You know, when you're fresh and you're, you're really there's – there's energy, but it's not the same type of energy as coming into a ball game when you know the situation. It's, it's, it's a lot of unknown to start that first inning. Some guys react to that better than others, and Carlson maybe at this point in his career is a guy that reacts better to kind of knowing the situation, having that little bit of time of, uh, of warming up in the bullpen, seeing how the game has been kind of flowing, and then going into the flow and trying to put his, 
his stamp on that game. Yeah, and the baseball team at West Virginia doesn't quite have the 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 magnifying glass as the football or the basketball team. Certainly, you know, so so the pressure is a little different. But to still be that number one Friday starter, you're put on the mound, everybody's watching you. You're facing the best of the lineup first when they're fresh. Um, that's 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 a tough tough responsibility. Certainly so. So we mentioned I, I think some history might have been made here this weekend for West Virginia, the first weekend sweep of a Big 12 team since 2016. You have to go back almost six years. It was early May of 2016 that WVU swept what team? Texas. Texas. Horns down, as always. <laughs> swept Texas uh, at Montegalia County Ballpark back in 2016. That was a huge series. It's something that Randy Maisie has talked about as one of his favorite moments in this ballpark. And I think we've added another, another moment to the Randy Maisie uh, kind of mental scrapbook, if you will. A big weekend series sweep of the Baylor Bears. Let's kind of put a bow on this, this series for just a second, Sam. How important is getting this sweep versus only taking two out of three, which it kind of looked like might have been the case at one point on, sat on Sunday. We've said this for the last two weekends. TCU and Baylor were measuring stick games. They're both kind of in the middle of the, the middle to top half of the league. Um, but to, to sweep Baylor and to do it in, quite frankly, decisive fashion, as they did, consistent decisive fashion, fashion excuse me, that's that's. That's huge. Not even just for the, the standings. They're in first place temporarily. We're going to put a, an asterisk on that because they, they still have a lot of games in the league to make up. But just for confidence sake, that's huge, humongous to start off. They haven't even played Kansas. They haven't even played the bottom of the league yet, but they're, they're starting to chip away at those teams that are going to be tough outs. I'm glad you mentioned the Big 12 baseball standings. Let's look at those standings right now. You just mentioned it now. Randy Maisie mentioned it after the game. The Big 12 standings, you do have to put a little bit of an asterisk there because West Virginia has only played now six Big 12 games, whereas everyone else in the Big 12 has played at least nine, if not 12, mm -hmm. Big 12 games, so three or four series. Most of these other teams have played. But... I don't think it matters what time of the year it is. If you are on top of the Big 12 standings in practically any sport, you're doing something right. And that's where West Virginia is at this point. 5-1 and one in Big 12 play at this point in the season. 20-10 and 10 overall on the year. Five-game winning streak for the Mountaineers. They have won now 10 of their last 12 games overall. This West Virginia team is on a run. You've mentioned they've passed a couple measuring stick. Uh, type series with TCU and Baylor. Baylor now found, finds itself in the bottom three of the Big 12. Still series against Kansas and Kansas State remain. You hope those are at least series wins, if not potential sweeps in those series. Oklahoma series still remains. They're 4-4 four and four right now in the Big 12. They were playing a really competitive Bedlam series against Oklahoma State this weekend. But big series losing, uh, looming, I should say, big series looming against Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, and Texas, of course. Oklahoma State coming to Mon County Ballpark next weekend. That is the big test that you need at this momentum that you're currently riding. You needed all that momentum behind you when the Cowboys are coming into Mon County Ballpark next weekend. Yeah, and the Cowboys just picked up, as we've been speaking, they just picked up a series win in the Bedlam series against Oklahoma. Um, so they're, they're breathing down West Virginia's necks. They're, if you look at, visually speaking, they are third in the conference. They, they trail a game. 
they trail a half game, I should and say. And actually, with that Tech. victory, they'll be tied with Texas Tech at yes. seven and two. Yeah, they, uh, in the Big Twelve standings, and right. West Virginia on top five and one. So this is a huge, 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 huge uh, series for West Virginia next week against Oklahoma State. Again, they're going to be a, a, I mean, cliche measuring stick because Oklahoma State their their offense is is consistent top to bottom in the lineup, but they have some of the best pitching in the league, and and that's going to be a big test for West Virginia because Baylor's pitching kind of struggled. They have um, Tyler Thomas, the Friday guy, was one of the best in the league, but then when Saturday, Sunday, their, their rotation kind of tails off. Oklahoma State, they're going to hold you off the bases. Oklahoma State currently number six in the nation right now in, in this week's uh, uh, NCAA baseball rankings. They will likely, I would assume, move up if not just stay put at number six. Virginia lost a big series against Miami this week, and you've seen uh, some, some other top-ranked teams go down here over this weekend. So Oklahoma State, definitely a top-10 team. I, I would almost be certain of that when they come to town uh, this coming weekend. Possibly a top five team. We'll see how the rankings shape up here moving forward. That's going to be a big series. In between that, though, Sam, a game on the road at Penn State. That's one of those games, a trap game. I don't know if you necessarily want to call it that. I think you have to put a, give a little bit of respect to Penn State and that program. And certainly, anytime you go to Happy Valley, it's an environment type of thing. You got to be able to get through Happy Valley. But for lack of a better phrase, it could be a trap game it coming up. It totally could. And in, in the midweek is one of West Virginia's kind of weak spots because they could use nine, ten pitchers, and they could go through their whole bullpen in that game. It, against Marshall, they, they smacked Marshall at home before Baylor, but it was still kind of an ugly game. Um, they, they still had to run through a lot of bullpen arms, and, and they in the ninth inning, they, they didn't really relinquish a lead, per se, because they were up by 13. But... They still allowed five runs to go over the plate, or five or so runs, several runs, I should say. I don't have the box score in front of me. But they, they, they kind of let Marshall back into it. So, you know, that's where the weak spot is, and, and they're on the road. That, that changes everything when it comes to college baseball. Penn State is currently 12-17 uh, and 17 on the series, so under 500 on the year for Penn State. The Nittany Lions are you know, not having a great season thus far. They did drop a weekend series against Northwestern here this weekend. Uh, that game was uh, at Northwestern, so Penn State was on the road in that one. So Penn State kind of sputtering at the moment, but still, it, it's like you said, anytime you get in these road midweek games, Always a bit of a challenge, I think, no matter what team it is, but West Virginia sometimes struggles with those midweek games. Sam, one thing that you, you and I, I think, we're going to talk about all season long with West Virginia is the steals department. They've slowed down a little bit, the Mountaineers have, I think in part because of the, the competition and Big 12 play. But, Sam, they are over the century mark for just the third time in program history, first time since 1986 that the Mountaineers have stolen at least 100 bases in a season. Can you kind of encapsulate what that means, 100 steals, over 100 steals now uh, through the weekend in, in, in a season that's really only just over half completed? What, what does that mean for this team? Well, that means that they can really manufacture runs in, teams, in ways that other teams can, cannot. Excuse me, that was, I, I kind of stumbled through that sentence. They can manufacture runs in ways that other teams cannot. Um, what that also means is they are able to really get under the skin of other teams' pitchers. Like you said, fans from 
in the stands were shouting out to, to Baylor pitchers, hey, they're going, they're going, they're going. You know, that, that can really that can add base runners because they're, they're not going to throw strikes. If, if they're thinking about who's on second base, who's on first base, they're not going to throw strikes. But looking at the big picture, that means, A, they're probably going to break the program record for steals. Probably. Looks that way. Wood, knock on wood. Um, but, B, on the flip side, when you look at what happened in this series, it shows that they don't need to do that in order to win baseball games. They had only one steal on Friday. They had two steals today on Sunday. And I don't believe they, they didn't even attempt a steal on Saturday. Um, which is rare. Which is, that's the first time it happened all season. Um, they were able to get it done conventionally with their bats. Obviously, when you look, that, look at them on the base paths, even McGuire Holbrook, who you're not going to see him steal a lot of bags. He's a big, he's a big fella. He, every single time the pitcher releases the ball, he takes off to first base and stops. You know? So this team is different but they can do it conventionally. And, but regardless, they're on pace to break the, the, the program steals record, which is fantastic. Yeah, that program steals record was set back in 1964. It's up over 150 stolen bases on the year. Uh, West Virginia is certainly on pace to hit that, but has slowed down a little bit. And one guy who's kind of slowed down in that department is the team leader in steals, Victor Scott. Only one stolen base in the last five games for Victor Scott, he's sitting at 25 on the year, which at one point this past week was second best in the country. We'll see where he ranks in the nation once the dust settles from this weekend and the new uh, national leaderboards come out. But on the flip side of that, Austin Davis is starting to pick things back up. Davis second on the team in steals, 19 on the year. He has eight steals in the last nine games. Just had one in this series that came on Sunday but eight in the last nine games for Austin Davis. He's starting to, I think, pick things back up. The average is going up on base percentage going up, steal rate going back up as well for AD. Yeah, he's, he's just a consistent all-around player. Um, I don't know if five-tool would necessarily be the word for him, but he, he's, you know, he's got the speed, he's got the arm, he's got the bat, um, and, and he can really cover, cover ground both on the base pads and in the field. He certainly can. One guy, too, that I think we need to keep an eye on, just kind of moving forward, we've obviously spoken about him on these podcasts. We've written about him, both you and I have, uh, at length on the website, goldenbluenation.com. But J.J. Weatherholt, we mentioned him earlier in this podcast, getting his kind of feet wet in Big 12 play. He, he seems to really have found his rhythm, I think, again. He struggled that first game against TCU last weekend and rebounded from there was able to get on base a couple times in that series, and it seems like he's kind of picked back up where he left off. He's starting to find that rhythm again. Yeah, he had a pretty solid series, 4 for 12. Um, and right now he's, he's got a, an OPS of 918. His OPS is over 900. Is that good? Is, that's pretty solid. Not, not bad. I'd say that's pretty <laughs> solid. You don't, you don't see a lot of guys in the bigs with that, with that kind of a number. But um, you know, he, he's just an all-around solid offensive player. He, he'll give you a single, he'll give you a double, and he can steal some bags. He's not going to be the number one guy that's going to steal bags, but... You know, just a solid uh, uh, find in, in the recruiting in the recruiting trail. As we kind of wind down here on the Golden Blue Nation podcast, coming to you on Sunday, April 10th, just following West Virginia's series sweep over Baylor at home at Monongalia County Ballpark. Ryan Decker, Sam Coniglio here with you. And Sam, as we kind of look ahead a little bit here for the upcoming schedule, we've spoken about this series a little bit. Oklahoma State looming. That's next weekend. All those games will be on Big 12 now on ESPN Plus for folks who can't make it out to the ballpark. Tentatively scheduled, and I say that because of how 
scheduling in West Virginia baseball has worked out this year. Tentatively scheduled Friday 6.30, Saturday 4 o'clock start, Sunday 1 o'clock start. We'll see where we actually end up playing these games. It likely won't be that at all. <laughs> But how important is this series? How important is, is it to take, Sam, at least one game out of that series against Oklahoma State? I'm sure you hope you can take at least two, but how important is just one? Well, the three series, the three teams you need to at least take a game from are Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, and Texas. Not only because you want to win those baseball games for the obvious reason that you want to win a baseball game, but because when you take a game away from them, when you when you take a, when you win a game against them, you not only add one in the conference schedule, but you take away one from them in their conference schedule for the standings, and that's huge, especially when they want to stay in first place. Maisie says they're not even thinking about the standings right now because they're so far behind, but they they kind of have to. But in the sense that they just need to win these baseball games uh, uh, for the time being and, and to jockey for the standings. And these series as well, they're so important. This Oklahoma State series is going to be because of RPI. Yeah. If you can just take one of those games, your RPI is going to hold or jump uh, in a very big way, and that's so big in college baseball. We talk about RPI and, and strength of schedule and all those different metrics in football and in basketball, but RPI might be the biggest, you could say, advanced metric or, or schedule metric maybe, however you want to phrase that, in college baseball, yeah. right now, uh, I should say heading into the weekend, West Virginia was 49 RPI. Not long ago, they were in the 70s, Sam. So what they've done the last couple of weekends, it, just last weekend alone and in the midweek, has already bumped them up uh, roughly 30 spots. A weekend sweep of Baylor will help in that RPI, along with some of the other results that we've seen around the country. You take one maybe two against Oklahoma State. You don't want to put the horse in front of the carriage, I guess, but you, you take at least one. That's a big nod to your RPI. It's a big check mark in your column when it comes to NCAA tournament time. And you wrote yesterday, WV Baseball, for the first time this season, projected to make the field of the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and, and WV especially needs these big RPI games because their non-conference schedule is not strong. You know, Marshall is... It's a weird mix. It's a very weird mix. It's a mix, weird mix. But um, I, I think they don't even rank in the top 100 in terms of strength of schedule when I last looked at it. The RPI is also fickle because, you know, team, you can win a game in March, you can win a game in February, and it can either come back to hurt you or, or help you. And that's a good point. In May. But, like, team, when they're, they could play Marshall three times this season, um, and that doesn't really help them. But when they play Oklahoma State and they play Baylor, in uh, the rest of their league schedule, those are the games that are really going to prove that they can compete with the best in the country. One thing that West Virginia will have to do going down the road here, they get an opportunity on Tuesday, as we've mentioned, is win some games on the road. Right now, 7-7 seven and seven on the road, West Virginia is. They're, they are now 10-1 and one at home. They've got a marvelous home, home record. Credit to the fans, of course, and also credit to, to the Mountaineers themselves for getting things done at home you got to get a couple more of those road wins and try to get an above 500 record on the road, you hope. Of course, that's going to be challenging the further into Big 12 competition you get. But when we talk about the RPI, which to your point is a good one, the RPI is fickle because some of the stuff that looks good in February and early March ends up not looking all that great in late May. Uh, but by the time you get to Big 12's conference play or conference play in general, you kind of have a good idea of where the wins you need to pick up lie, yep. and certainly you've got one coming up on Tuesday against Penn State, a, a team that won't be in the top 100 
in the RPI. It's a very, very winnable road game that you kind of need to pick up. Yeah, you need to pick it up, but more importantly, you can't lose it. You know, you really cannot lose that because that'll knock you. They're not going to get a lot from winning that game, but they'll get a lot from losing that. That's very true. So we've talked about Penn State, Oklahoma State coming up this coming weekend. Uh, those home games on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then a big game coming up the following Tuesday, April 19th at PNC Park. That's WVU taking on Pittsburgh. WVU going to be looking for some revenge in that game. Spoke to a couple fans earlier uh, on Sunday who said they had never been to PNC Park before. They're from Birchport, never been to PNC Park before. They are going up on April 19th to watch WVU play Pitt. That's kind of the, the excitement of this series. I'm sure there's maybe not a ton of people in this area, in the Morgantown area, who haven't been to PNC Park at this point because it's such a great ballpark. But some of those folks who, who haven't been yet, it's another reason to get them out to PNC, which, of course, a beautiful ballpark. But that's another, another big game. That'll be a neutral site game for West Virginia that, you know, Kind of want to pick that up, especially after what happened at Pitt uh, now a week ago. Yeah, that was a, that was a painful that was a painful one to watch. Yes, it was. Um, but 2019 was the last time they played at PNC Park against Pitt, of course, and that was a blast. We went. Uh, we were then WV Illustrated, now we're Golden Blue Nation. Yeah. But we we went in force, and and it was it was a blast because the West Virginia fans came out, the Pitt fans came out, and in the seventh inning stretch, they played Sweet Caroline. And you get a special rendition of that from from the uh, old Golden Blue fans, yeah. don't you? And they were they were louder. They yes. won that battle. But West Virginia won that won that contest on the on the field as well. And and it was just it was just beautiful because, you know, PNC Park is my favorite ballpark in the Bigs. Even though I'm a Yankee fan, I was gonna, that's a little surprising from a New York guy. But I, I respect it though. Yeah, I have I have my opinions on the new Yankee Stadium. The, I prefer the old one. Um, but you know, PNC, the, whoever designed that that stadium deserves a hall of fame plaque in cooperstown personally in my opinion just because you know it, and that game was was a perfect example why because it was a beautiful game you got the sun setting against the the skyline you know it's just perfect just perfect a, a little bit of credit you know i'm saying this as an orioles fan but also as someone who, who loves baseball history a little bit of credit for pnc does belong to camden yards and the folks who built camden yards <laughs> the ballpark that changed baseball it's the nickname of it yeah uh, it came about 10 years earlier roughly i guess seven years earlier than pnc park did if my memory serves but yeah, uh, all those it, retro modern yeah uh, uh, that that era of baseball are, ballparks right. it's fantastic but yes pnc ballpark or PNC Park, I should say. Yeah. Beautiful ballpark. Definitely, it's one of those games that if you haven't been out to a WVU baseball game yet this year, make sure you head to that one. It, it Make it a great atmosphere for WVU. Sam, the next time, I guess we'll, we'll be speaking here on the Golden Blue Nation podcast, will be after the Oklahoma State series. We'll, we'll visit you all again then after that. In the meantime, of course, we'll be keeping you updated on the WVU baseball team and all WVU sports throughout the spring on TV with your daily Mountaineer Minutes and on the website, goldandbluenation.com. And, of course, on the always free Gold and Blue Nation app on all of your favorite Apple and Android devices. For Sam Coniglio, I'm Ryan Decker. This has been the Gold and Blue Nation podcast brought to you by Pritt and Spano, West Virginia's lawyers, your WVLawFirm.com.